Me, 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 but also you. <laughs> the Pharaoh fast forwards his favorite foreign film. Powder donut. <clears throat> okay, what's my line? Uh, the only line I see here on the script is get options based on your budget with the name and price tool from Progressive. Oh man, that's a tongue twister, huh? I'm sorry, I'm gonna need a few more minutes. <clears throat> bulbous Walrus, the Bulbous Walrus. The Name Your Price tool, only from Progressive. The owl ran afoul of the comatose Coxswain. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and affiliates price and coverage match limited by state law. Welcome to Accelerate Your Business Growth with your host, Diane Helbig. Diane is a leading small business development and leadership coach, author, and speaker who is passionate about sharing valuable ideas, tips, and techniques with business professionals worldwide. Diane brings you the world's experts and gurus in all things business, whether it's sales, structure, social media, planning, or plateauing, guests bring their expertise and energy to each episode. When growing your business is your focus, Accelerate Your Business Growth is the show to listen to. Got a topic or guest suggestion? Let Diane know. The goal is to make sure you have the information you need to move your business forward. Thanks for joining us. Settle in and enjoy. Hi, everybody. Thank you so much for joining us today. Today's podcast is sponsored by Audible.com. Audible.com is a leading provider of spoken digital audio entertainment and information. Listen to audiobooks whenever and wherever you want. Get a free book when you sign up for a 30-day free trial at audibletrial.com slash businessgrowth. We are thrilled that this podcast is continuing to gain recognition as a resource for small business owners, aspiring entrepreneurs, uh, and salespeople from Inc.com to MSNBC's Your Business to People First, uh, Fit Small Business, Proven, and a whole bunch of other sites. Accelerate Your Business Growth Podcast is enjoying inclusion on lists of the best podcasts to listen to. This is due in large part to the guests that I have the opportunity to speak with. These are folks who have expertise in various areas of business, and they give of their time and that knowledge uh, so that all of you can do better things in your business. Today, we have such a person. We are thrilled to be joined by Sue Monheit. Sue also known as the Gift Biz Gal, has been consulting with retail and online businesses for over 25 years. Additionally, she started two multi-six-figure companies of her own. Today, the Ribbon Print Company is the major sponsor of her Gift Biz Unwrapped podcast. She's been identified as an industry trendsetter and now focuses on the gifting, baking, crafting, and making spaces. She's a leader in helping entrepreneurs set up their business to become a profitable and sustainable entity. Pulling from her vast experience, she now guides people who have a hobby or creative passion that they want to turn into a business. As an extension, she works with existing business owners who've gotten stuck or are looking for that one thing that's needed for them to gain traction and move ahead. Thank you so much for joining me today, Sue. I am excited to be here, Diane. 
I am thrilled to have you here. I mentioned to you before we uh, started recording that this is a topic that th this topic of turning your hobby into a professional business, a profitable business, is something we have not done enough with on this podcast. And I think there are tons of people out there who are really interested in learning how they can do just that. So. Well, you know, I think it's an emerging interest also because people often didn't think about second careers. So some of the older folks who, you know, have had a career, have been in business for 15, 20 years, now all of a sudden aren't ready to retire really, but they want to do something different. So it brings an option of doing something that you've always loved and possibly monetizing it and turning it into a business. And then also the younger crowd, let's face it, people don't stick around in their jobs like we used to do way back when. <laughs> so um, there's a lot of movement, even with the younger people, to do something and, you know, that whole satisfaction of li and lifestyle issue. So I think for those reasons, it's becoming more and more a relevant topic today. So do you see more? So it's a more and more relevant topic. And so do you really see more and more people Let's talk about the, the older generation, the folks who in the past would have just retired and played golf and whatnot. Do, are you finding that more and more people in that demographic are deciding to launch, quote, hobby businesses? A lot. Yeah. Yes. Yes, a lot. And it's interesting because a lot of times they aren't even in any way, shape, or form a match or linked to what they did in their first career, if I, if I should call it that. <laughs> so, you know, there are lawyers who are turning to pottery or people who have worked in IT departments who are now making bird feeders or, you know, it's just, it's not even relevant. It doesn't even match, but they're using skills that they've found in their other careers that then can be applicable. And I think it makes them a more well-rounded business owner as well. Yeah. Right. Boy, that's yeah. so interesting. Yeah, it's okay. crazy. It, it's it so is. fun to hear the stories. I'll bet. I'll bet. And you know what? They get to write their own rules, too, yeah. because they've done the 401ks and they have retirement plans, hopefully, <laughs> right? Yeah. Um, and so now this can be a fun business, but they're still super serious about it. They want it to make money. They want to know the margins on their products. They want to sell, but they also want that value of life you know, maybe they want to just go to the local craft shows. They don't need to explode these businesses either into big national names. Some do, some don't, but right. they can write their own rules. I think they feel freer too. Right. They really get to do it their way on their terms without any sort of expectation that they're going to turn it into something that maybe someone just starting out who was starting a business and really wanting to grow it that way would be under, you know, that sort of an expectation. Yeah. A little more pressure, you know, cause yeah. at that life stage, it's a little different too. You know, you're not looking now at possibly supporting a family with children or right. time constraints with children. So that's a little different, but make no mistake. There are a lot of younger people, you know, what's the whole word these days, you know, entrepreneur, yeah. <laughs> you know, whether everyone yeah. should or shouldn't, that could be cause for debate. But a lot of people aren't thinking they're going to go the corporate route. They want to start their own thing. Yeah. 
And that doesn't mean necessarily all gifter, baker, crafter, maker, you know, like I'm working on, it could be services or, you know, just a small local business that they want to create. But it's much more favorable to do that type of thing now than it used to be even 15 years ago. It sure is. It's so interesting for me. I was just talking to somebody about that yesterday that I have, I have, um, very young adults as children, you know, my children are very, an 18 year old and a 21 year old and entrepreneurship is like the thing. And I think, man, when I was growing up, I mean, I know it was a long time ago, but no one was talking about this. This was not a thing. You went to work someplace and you worked there for a number of years because that's what looked good on a resume. And, mm-hmm. you know, you might not have gotten the the pension that like my parents got, but this is what you did and you did have a 401. So you did put money away and, and you didn't really think about venturing. It was scary to venture off on your own. Now it's exciting. Well, but I think also culturally a business felt more indebted to their employees too. I mean, let's face it. Business decisions are business decisions. When, you know, they have to cut costs, there will be some heads, right. That have to roll. But I think Employees were more loyal to their companies and companies were more loyal to their employees. That might be debatable, but let's go with it. (laughs) Now, now it's gone. You know, all those rules are gone. How many people get laid off? And it's, you know, it's, it's rough. When I was in the corporate world, man, I remember when we'd have some meetings as a management team and we had to cut costs, you know, you'd do everything you could not to have to lose somebody you know, the blue collar workers in the production facilities in the back, man, you know, oftentimes you had both parents working, you know, if you had to, you know, if you had to drop them because of cost, what's that family going to do? Right. You know, and it's just, that's not thought of anymore. So on the other side, that means as business or employees, I should say, we got to watch ourselves. And the only way you can watch yourselves is by controlling your own business. As hard as that, I mean, pros and cons to both, right? We were just talking about, you know, entrepreneurism is the word now. I don't think that everybody should be an entrepreneur. You know, (laughs) it it is not an easy game. That is for sure. Not everyone is cut out for it, but um, it's just another option. Let's put it that way. Well, and speaking of not everybody being cut out for it, talk about some of the unique obstacles that really face someone who who wants to take their hobby and monetize it? I think there are a couple of really big obstacles. One of them could be that you just don't have that business knowledge, right? I mean, Mm -hmm. somebody who has been making jewelry, Mm -hmm. and and I'll go with this because it's a very sad story, um, which could happen, okay? You're sitting having coffee with a friend and you make jewelry, and your friend says to you, oh my gosh, that necklace is beautiful. Would you make me one? My sister's birthday is coming up next week. So a a necklace is made and given and this woman comes back and they're having coffee, let's say three weeks later. Oh my gosh, my sister absolutely loved that necklace. You should start a business. You can be making money with this, right? So here is a, let's just call her a crafter, maybe, maybe a very nice jewelry designer who never really had the idea of starting a business and never thought of it herself. The idea was given to her, starts to accept this dream, but doesn't have any business experience. So this dream gets placed, they start a business, 
maybe they're starting it properly, maybe they aren't, maybe they're not pricing their products well, which is what we'll talk about in a second, and it doesn't work and they've spent all this money. Yeah. You know, that's the sad part. When someone else has given another person a dream and they start believing it and pursuing it, but not doing it properly. Okay, so that's that's one, let's say, challenge. Huge, yeah. Yeah. Another challenge, honestly, and a huge one is pricing. Because when you have a creator community, the way I'm describing them, the gifters, bakers, crafters, makers, you're doing, you are creating your product that you're going to sell. So a couple of things happen with that. The first thing is you also have to include your time. And a lot of artists don't put a dollar amount to their time. You know, everyone I think is pretty smart. You buy parts that you have to put together to make a product, you know, whether it's flour and strawberries or, you know, whatever it is, if you're a baker or whether it's the beads and the wire, whatever, if it's a jeweler, but a lot of people, when they're pricing their product, forget to put in, well, how intricate was that design and how much time did it take you to actually make that necklace? So they start losing on the margin end or they only charge cost because they love so much and they want their, their pieces to be out and be worn or eaten or, you know, whichever way it is. And then they don't think about the fact that they need to have some type of margin because guess what? You've got to pay for the equipment you've invested in, any employees you have, your QuickBooks program. Like there's all this other stuff behind the scenes yeah. that you also have to have to be paying for and that comes out of the margin of any products you purchase so pricing is huge yeah. huge in this area just recognizing what your true value is for your pieces so the other challenge that there is with my group is the more you sell the more work you've made for yourself at least right in that middle tier, you know, until you start bringing on other people to replicate your designs, or if you're big enough, hiring out, you know, to some type of a manufacturing plant to reproduce what you've created. So it can be kind of scary and people get into this middle ground where, oh my gosh, if I get too big an order, how am I even going to deliver? Right. You know, right. So, Ugh. yeah. So those yeah. are some big, unique challenges um, to my group. And I will say, say one other one, which is really super important. You know how we've all seen the fads, you know, things come up that are super popular. Everyone's getting them for a year and then it becomes less popular. Yeah. You know, and then the next year, year two, nobody's even wanting them anymore. That's old news. If you have a product that's like that, you have to be figuring out, okay, what's going to be the next thing? You know, or else your business starts up and then it dies right away because it's fad related. Ooh, you know, think of the little grommets. You know those little grommets that used to go in the um, Crocs? Uh-huh. Remember when that was such a big deal? Yes. Yeah, now, I mean, I still see them around, but they aren't as big a deal as they once were. No, they're not. Yeah, so you have to be really careful. Um, you know, and I talk about this within my audience to make sure your product stays relevant or you adjust things so that it is relevant. So those are some of the challenges that we talk about. Okay. So let's go backwards. Let, let's talk about that one first. Um, how in the world does someone, uh, probably a bad way of asking the question, but Go for try it. Try <laughs> and stay ahead of 
what is going to be next or should we assume all this stuff is a fad and it's only going to last for so long so we should automatically be in this mode of trying to figure out what's going to be next? Well, I think it's first just recognizing that that could happen okay. and seeing it because a lot of it is going to come somewhat slowly. Think of Blockbuster. Yeah. I mean, did they just decide they weren't going to be in business anymore because that was rolling down the, the highway for years before it actually happened, right? But so I think initially it's just to keep your eye on what's going on. Um, you know, cupcakes are a big thing right now, right? Right. A little bit dying. I don't know. Around me, a little bit. I mean, they're still very popular. And let's face it, everyone's going to want cupcakes. But remember when it, it was... And maybe still in certain cities. I think we're still riding the trend. But, you know, it was the huge thing. You know, they have places, cupcakes and wine and pairing and, you know, all of this kind of, of stuff. Yeah. I think as a baker, that's awesome. Keep doing it. But watch what happens. See how customers are reacting. See nas national trends. Is our brownies starting to come by the path? You know, we all like change. It's kind of like fashion. Yeah. You know, when are bell bottoms coming back in? <laughs> you know, <laughs> so you have to adjust your product. I mean, you're, if your if your um, main signature product right now is cupcakes, you're still a baker. So when cupcakes start to dwindle, what's your next signature product going to be? That's with the times and things that people are interested in, and how do you keep it exciting? So yeah. a lot of it is just recognizing that this happens. That's the most great. important thing. Yeah. Okay. Can you be the trendsetter? Is, is that I, difficult to do? You know, you know, I mean, can you be the one who has the pet rock? <laughs> well, I think you can. If there's an audience who likes what you have because your product is filling some type of a need or being an exciting, different type of thing. So, yes, I think you can be a trendsetter. I or or. I talk often, and I'll stick with the baking industry since that's what we're talking about, signature product. You know, having a product that you are known for, let me give you an example. We have um, a business actually located right in my hometown. Um, they're called the Cookie Joint, but their signature product are cookie fries. So they're shortbread cookies, but they look like French fries. And they're served in, you know, like the bags of fries, like you would get at a fast food place, the little bags. Yeah, yeah. The cookies are served in bags, and they also have a little dipping sauces, like you would see with ketchup, right? But it's chocolate or it's raspberry sauce. And so that's a signature product, which they have. Could it be knocked off? Yes, probably. But who's thinking about doing that? You know, it's their signature product. Right. And so they're known for cookie fries. But they also have just regular circle chocolate chip cookies and other types of things, too. So that's a way when you say, can you make something of your own in the yeah. baking industry, a signature product lands it right there. Nice. Mm -hmm. Nice. Okay. Yeah. I, I got it. Okay. Now, uh, going backward. Um, we keep going backwards. I know. <laughs> we have to go backward to go forward. Okay, I'm with uh, you. Actually, I want to jump. It's so funny because now I want to jump to the first obstacle, which was should you even really be doing this, right? Mm. Is this someone else's idea? So, I, my question is sort of twofold. One, how do you know 
if you should be doing something, and two, how do you keep from grabbing that bug that someone else plants? I start, everything that I talk about with people is, what is your vision? What are you trying to build? Like, what are you looking at? And you are going to be able to relate to this, and all of our listeners are going to be able to relate to this, too. Have you in your community had a retail shop that opens up, looks great, you know, looks like there's major investment in it, every, you know, people want to know about it because it's brand new, and then about a year later, it's shuttered. Sure. Well, a lot of the reasons why a year later it's shuttered is that, and I'm not talking chain stores now, okay, I'm talking about yeah. individually owned businesses. Okay. They think that it sounds so great to have a boutique on Main Street, but then they forget, wait a minute, someone has to be in that store 10 to 6, let's say, whatever the hours are. And all of a sudden, then it doesn't mesh with their lifestyle because they've got to pick up the kids from school or what happens if you have a doctor appointment and they're just starting out so they don't necessarily have anyone in the shop. And so they just close and lock. I'll be back. You know, I'll be back in two hours or whatever it is. Well, your customers only have to come to a locked door a couple of times and they're not going to shop with you anymore. So in terms of whether this is for you or not, the first thing I always tell people is, what are you thinking you want to do? And then live it in your head. Like really think about, are you Monday through Saturday, let's say, wanting to be in a shop to use, continue with that same example? Yeah. And is that you? Like, do you even like talking to people? You know, because so many people will think of the vision from the outside to be able to say to their friends, oh, yeah, I have a shop on Main Street. But then actually doing it and what it all consists of in terms of, you know, the, the backdoor stuff to a business. You've got to like it. That's so that's, right. <laughs> yeah, so that's the first thing is you really have to be real with yourself first. Yeah. Before you waste a lot of money, create this dream that you love but it's the dream you love. It's not the reality that you love. Ah, that's good. Yeah, yeah it happens and it's heartbreaking. Seriously, you know, that I, I had a friend years ago who owned a um, staffing company. And one day she said to me, I hate people. And I just looked at her Oops. and said, I need to get out of this business. I was like, I don't know how you can be in that business in particular and not like people. Yeah. Yeah. Now, having said that, that's the perfect business for someone else. Right. You just have to be really real with yourself. Yeah, that's great. Being realistic saves a lot of heartache down the road. Mm -hmm. For sure. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Okay. So now let's talk about pricing because I agree with you. I think this is a really, really tricky thing for a lot of reasons. I think uh, people love what they do and they, but they don't necessarily feel like it's worth charging somebody for or they they do what you were talking about where they are good at the hard cost but not the soft mm-hmm. or it's some combination or they overprice it how do they is there a rule of thumb for identifying even before you launch if it's something you're going to be able to sell and make money yeah yeah that's a good question so well the first thing is I just want to clarify that in my opinion, you're not even in business unless you're making a dollar. 
you know, once you make that first dollar, like you've covered all your costs and you're making a dollar, now you can have a business, right? Because if you're in business, business equates to making money. (laughs) Okay. Hopefully you're in the black and not in the red, (laughs) right? (laughs) But so then when you start looking at products, yes, you're right. I mean, the first thing that, you know, mostly these are people who are already doing something. So they're turning something they're already doing into a business. Right. Um, Not always, not always. Um, I've talked to a lot of people who have built a product and they're starting the business around it. They didn't make it before, but the first thing obviously is the cost of the product, the materials, right? So that's pretty easy. That's straightforward, but there are hidden costs that people forget about like, how much did it cost to acquire those materials? Let's talk about shipping, you know, uh-huh. or um, did you go to the store and pick it up because you're still running such small volume, you're getting your your materials at Hobby Lobby or somewhere like that. That's time and gas yeah. or it's UPS or postage costs. So those are some hidden costs that I think people forget about. Mm-hmm. And then equipment a solderer or a potter's wheel or those types of things that you, the equipment that you need to actually produce your product and your training. If you've had to do some type of training, maybe you're going to a conference to learn the best techniques at your craft. You know, all of those are hidden costs, but what they've done is they've gotten you to the skill level where you're a professional different than only a hobbyist. Again, when you're looking at business. So those types of investments, um, I try to make people understand that allows you to demand more for your product. And I don't mean demand like foot down, I deserve it, but it allows you because the quality of your product is better because of these things you've invested in. You're using professional equipment, you know the skills for your product, those types of things. So that gets included in your price. And then also what we were talking about earlier is the time. You know, and this is a hard one, too, because sometimes if all of these things are added up and the price is more than the market will bear, Mm -hmm. you've got to go back and whittle down. And artists like to spend 7,000 quadrillion hours making their pieces perfect when that extra time will not equate to extra dollars that you can add on for the cost of your piece. So it's a balancing act there. So you can see that pricing within this category can get a little bit complicated, but let's say you add all of it up, you decide on how much your time is worth and, you know, so you've added in your production there and you get what you believe is the price for a product. Then you've got to do a little bit of market shopping, if you will, you know, like, are you way, way, way over? And if you are, can you justify it? Think of Apple. You know, they can justify their costs, you know, the no discounting, all of that, but they grew to be that. Right. Right. Because their products were at one point so far above other products. Now things have leveled out a little bit. I don't know if you're an Apple fan or not, but, (laughs) um, (laughs) but you have to do some real, some reality checking. You know, if you're priced so, so, so much higher than the market, can you justify it? Is there enough additional value in what you're producing that the market says, okay, yes, I get it. Or if you're way on the other end, if you're way low, that might not be a good strategy either because lower prices sometimes are equated to cheap. Right. 
safe to do all of that kind of analysis. And it doesn't mean you have to stay with in the medium of what the market is for your product, but you need to understand why you would be on either end. You know, for one of my businesses, um, we are the high priced leader, but you know what? We deserve to be. And what happens is, yes, there will be other people who will go to our competitor. Lots of times then they'll come back to us because they understand now why we're higher priced. So then they end up paying more money all told, right? Right. But I don't care if I get less customers, we get quality customers. Yeah. And they say, you know, because they've done the research and they see. So, so having a higher priced product, you might have fewer customers, but the overall dollar amount might be the same. And a little bit, really, a little bit situational. Absolutely, and and it's it's understanding who your audience is, who your target is, right? It's understanding what an ideal client looks like, and it's not that you want to sell to everybody necessarily. It's that you want to sell to a particular a particular product to a particular audience. Right, right, yeah. and you can't do market research with your family and friends. <laughs> Because they're just going to tell you what you want to hear exactly. because they love you, right? right. Yeah. I interviewed this one girl. Um, her business is called Cuffs, K-U-H-F-S. Yeah, I'm pretty sure that's right. And what she makes are, um, oh, how do I, they're kind of like cappers for your boots or for the bottom of your jeans so that you can make your look entirely different without having to buy more $150 jeans or expensive leather boots. And so they come in all these different types of fabrics. And when she was creating this, now, mind you, she had never done this before. She'd never worked with fabric mills or you know, any of this stuff. She learned everything as she went. But my point with her is she did some test marketing by just wearing her product, but not telling anybody that it was hers. So she'd walk, you know, have, you know, lunch with girlfriends or something yeah. and they would see them and comment and she'd be like, yeah, you know, she wouldn't say, oh yeah, they're mine. You know, she would just be yeah, yeah, these are interesting. Like, what do you think of these? You know, I just got them or whatever. And so she got really authentic feedback and she did wow, this a bunch. A great idea. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. And then once she was seeing that people were like, oh, those are cool. Let me try them on. Where did you get like, you know, that kind of thing. And she asked her questions and, you know, all of that. And she didn't just do this once, of course, she did this over time. But once she had validated the idea, then she gave some to her friends for free to test, to try, because then she was perfecting the product. At first, she was just validating the idea. Now she's testing the product and it had to go through some adjustments so it wouldn't slip down. So it would fit different styles of boots. So, you know, like all the different types of things that you need to do for product evolution and development. Sure. Um, but so that was how her product ended up coming to market um, through testing. That's a great idea. I have to take a quick sponsor break and then we'll continue this conversation. Accelerate Your Business Growth Podcast is happy to be sponsored by Audible.com. Audible.com is a leading provider of spoken digital audio entertainment and information. They have over 150,000 titles to choose from, and you can listen to them on any device, including whatever you're hearing us on right now. If you sign up at our link, which is audibletrial.com slash businessgrowth, you get one free audiobook and a one-month trial of the service. Some examples of books you can listen to on audible.com are 
80-20 Sales and Marketing by Perry Marshall, and The Go-Giver by Bob Berg. So visit audibletrial.com slash businessgrowth, explore the books that are of interest to you, and receive one free audiobook when you sign up for the trial. Today we are talking with Sue Monheit about turning your hobby into a profitable business. Okay, so... I just have to tell you first, I love those books that you just were talking about on Audible. I'm a huge okay, Audible girl. <laughs> <laughs> so love it's it, like love the it. Best thing, right? Oh, it's awesome. Thank you. I know. It's, it's the, this is what I hear from everybody. Oh, yeah, that's how I get all of my reading done, right? I just go. Right. And then you find a great book and then they don't have it available yet on audio. And it's like, yeah. oh, man, now I got to like really read those pages. Darn it. Yeah. <laughs> that's for yeah. an airplane flight, yeah, maybe. I don't know. Those- all those authors get on audible darn it wow seriously i know so if someone's listening and they've got a hobby and they've always thought this is something that i really want to do are there and and well i'll just ask the question are there first steps that they should go through to start yes i feel that there are specific steps and a specific order to go through when you're starting a business And this is also something that I've seen. I I actually wasn't even looking at getting into this type of thing. I had this other business. I still do. And we go out to trade shows and people will come up to the booth. And for us to be able to talk about our product, we need to know where they're coming from. Right. So our conversations can be relevant. And people would come up and say, oh, my gosh, I love your product. When I start my business, I definitely need to get one of these. It's like, okay, well, that's awesome. What's your business? When are you going to start? And and they'll tell me what they're thinking. And they're like, but I just don't know what to do. Like, I don't know, or I'm afraid, like the first step is so scary, right? Or we'll have people come up to the booth and they'll say, oh, I so want one of these. Once I'm making money in my business, then I'm definitely going to be ready. You know, now some people, you know, that may not be true. You know, they just might be nice. I get that. But so then we'll keep talking to them. Well, what's going on with your business? And, you know, oh, I'm just not selling enough product or, you know, whatever it is. And that's how I zeroed in on the fact that, oh, my gosh, there are so many people who have such passion for what they're making and they're not starting a business because they just don't know. And why would they? They've never right. had to before right. or they've started, but they start with something so obvious and think they've set the business up right, you know, mm-hmm. or they're not pricing right or, you know, all those types of things. Right. So. That was when I got the vision, like, oh, my gosh, I know how to do this. This is what I used to talk about and coach, you know, in corporate. I know this stuff. And so, yes, there is, I have like a 12-step process of the things that you need to do in order. There's a reason that they're in order. And we've talked about some of them already. Um, I'll just share a couple, I think, just to get started, because I'm quite sure you don't want me to do the whole thing. But the first one is what we were talking about, the vision you've got to put a marker in the sand of what you're actually thinking you're doing. You know, like we were talking about the brick and mortar. Well, maybe it's not, maybe it's, you know, you want to be home with the children, but you also want to be contributing to the, to the family financially as well. And for that sense of satisfaction, you know, Um, there's all different reasons why people will go into business. Right. So you've got to be really clear with yourself as to why you're going into business and then live in it. Like I said before, 
you make sure this is something that in reality you actually want to do and are going to love. So that's the first step. And then the second step is research. Again, what we were talking about, you know, what is your product? Are people going to want it? Is there a market for it? And how much of that product would you need to produce to reach whatever your revenue goals are? You know, because there's a, a, a exact point in time where you max out. If it's just you, you can only produce so much in addition to doing your bookkeeping and, you know, all the other types of things that a business requires, even if it's home-based. And is that number a number that you like, at which point you're going to have to add on people to help you, right? So you start yeah. to think about all of that, you know, research of your product, and then is it going, you know, I, I, I see so many people who they are working so hard and they're spinning their wheels, but they're not pricing right or the, there's just not enough of a market out there for them or something like that. And they're working so hard and they equate the amount of work they're putting in that they should be making it because their effort is so great. <laughs> yeah. But that doesn't equal, you know, like the amount of effort doesn't necessarily equal the return. Exactly. And that's a bitter pill to swallow. Yeah. But it can. You just have to think about it all first. That's all. So once you've done, once you have your vision, once you have your research, then comes the next step, which most people do first. And that is, what's the name of my company going to be? And what's my logo and my brand going to be? Mm-hmm. You know, most people, when they want to start a company, they start there. Yeah. Right. So they've skipped the very first two most important grounding things it's like it's like you're going to plant a flower but you don't dig the dirt and put the seed in and let the roots grow you just put a seed on the top of the soil right absolutely (laughs) so so that's the next step so those are the first three of my 12 steps I can go on if you want but um you know there is a specific way to get started yeah it sounds like it yeah Mm -hmm. And, and no those are those are good I first of all I don't want to overwhelm people, but second of all, I want them to be reaching out to you. So uh, there's a method to my, no, let's just do the first three. And I like that they're in order. And I really hope people are listening to that, especially because I think those three steps are true for any business that you're going to start, not just taking a hobby and turning it into a business that you really need to make sure that you have answers to these things before you just go ahead and, and launch, which I agree, so many people just, they get all excited and that's the first thing they do. And because they don't know any better. Right. You know, you're totally right, Diane. It, it, it doesn't just apply to my group really at, at that point. Yeah. But, um, and you can't fault people. They just don't know and they're excited, right. but you want them to succeed. And these are the places where, you know, people can stumble. Exactly. That is exactly right. And you want to, Sometimes you have to slow down to speed up, right? Mm-hmm. You have to slow down and go through the steps so that you can actually do it well or at least effectively, right? So that you can be successful with it. Correct. Yep. So um what do you So we already talked about how more and more people seem to be getting into this sort of thing. How do you see the the maker community morphing, growing, changing as we move forward? 
Well, I think it's going to become more and more populated. I think that people are seeing that they're, well, there's a couple of things. And one of them I think is really exciting, but people are seeing that they can have second careers as we have already talked about. People are seeing that there is value and money to be made in local craft fairs. You don't have to, um, well, we're going to air later, obviously, but you don't have to be going to these big, huge shows like I go to that cost thousands and thousands of dollars to exhibit at. You don't have to do that. You can make money right in your local community and have a wonderful business where you can go home and sleep in your bed at night if you're doing a show yeah. um, in many cases. But the other thing I think that's happening, and I don't hear a lot of people talking about it, so I'm going to put my name on this. We'll see what happens. But I think that people are getting tired of the big box stores, even though the prices are good. People are getting back to, because now the economy is such where stores are opening again. I don't know if your community was like mine where things were so shuttered for a while. But I think people, you know, there's the big push of shop local, right? Right. And and support your small businesses. But I think people are also now really liking things that are unique and handmade. Different from going to, again, I won't say names, but just, you know, all of the different brand stores, chains, gosh, you know, I can go into one store here. I'm in the Chicago area. I can go into the same store in Los Angeles and it's the same floor plan. I mean, I can pretty much go to the same rack (laughs) and find the same product, you know, based on how they lay out the stores and merchandise. And there's now value to that t-shirt that has rhinestones on it. That is a one of a kind. I completely agree with you. I agree. I, I I second that emotion. I think that the unique is in for mm-hmm. sure. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I totally agree. Yeah. So it's and, that's exciting. Yeah. And you know, to now one offs is a whole nother thing because that's kind of hard too to make. But yeah. I think there is overall just personal. Um, creators and and the attraction to that is only going to grow. I do too. I, I I agree with you. It's interesting in the town that I live in, which is just outside of Cleveland. This past holiday season, they had a pop up store that was all locally made things. So there was salsa, hot sauce, jewelry, scarves. Uh, keychains. I'm trying to think of uh, oh these really weird um, bourbon-filled truffle things. I mean, oh yum! You, <laughs> I know. You name it, it was in this place, and and they all went into this one storefront, and they worked out how they were gonna staff it, and it was sort of a test market sort of mm-hmm. thing, and it started on. Um, I'm trying to think so. We do this thing called the chocolate walk around Halloween and they started it then and it was such a big hit that they decided, I think they even moved into another space, but they kept it open through the holidays. And I love that. I would be, I would be there. (laughs) Yeah. Well, it's not that far in Chicago, Cleveland, but seriously it, it was. And I went in there and bought holiday gifts. For for that very reason that it was this is fun it's different I'm going to be able to get stuff you're not going to be able to get anyplace else I can really think about the recipient there's just so many good things about it 
Mm -hmm. There's two things that are really great about that. Number one is that, um, oh, wait wait a minute, I was just lost my train of thought with that. Um, Oh, no, no, it's a great proving ground, you're right, for your product, you know, and I've heard a lot of people and I've interviewed a lot of people on my show, because we get into, you know, how did the product develop and all of that just as examples for our listeners. But um, it's a great way to test your product. Or if you have different flavors, you know, which ones are people really liking? So pop-ups or the local fairs or or flea markets or whatever are a great test. But the other really exciting thing is to be able to share a story. So when these local artisans talk about how they started, how they got to where they are, and I encourage people always to put their stories, even if it's just a little clip, in their promotional materials, because it's not just that, oh, you know, this is a local artisan. It's like, let's talk about the story. Yeah. You know? Yeah, I agree. So I just interviewed, and actually I think her show is going to be pretty close in weeks to when you were mentioning you thinking this is going to air. But I interviewed this, these two science teachers who on a Sunday snowy Chicago afternoon with their nine-year-old decided they wanted to do something fun for the afternoon. So they went to Hobby Lobby, got a candle making kit, came home, did that. The candles, of course, were terrible, the first ones, so they say. (laughs) (laughs) And it all developed into a whole business. And their story is two science teachers (laughs) with a nine-year-old and a Sunday snowy afternoon which is you know and it's now it's all revolving around science yeah so yeah it's a story it's cool it's great and then you want to support them right because you can relate to the story and Mm -hmm. and it's humanized it's not um transactional at that point it's a good word that's a good word diane yeah it's humanized yeah 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 that is great So tell us what the Gift Biz Builder is, please. Oh, Gift Biz Builder is my passion project. Mm. When I was mentioning earlier that people were coming to the booth and I was identifying that people could use help, Mm -hmm. it was then that I'm like, I need to build a program that can teach these people who are creators at heart how to start the business. So that way they can enjoy creating their business they don't have to be spending the time figuring out what to do. So the Gift Biz Builder is now a membership site. It launched last year, and I had kind of a beta test, beta test year, and we pretty much all agreed that it needs to turn into a membership site, so there's a lot of interaction back and forth. But it virtually takes somebody from that initial vision all the way through growing, developing a business. Should you be brick and mortar? Should you be home-based? If you're brick and mortar, what types of things do you need? Do you need insurance? How do you do social media? How do you get customers? What do you do at a grand opening? Like uh, ev- emailing, you know, everything all the way to the very end, which is how do you stay relevant? You know, how do you wow. make sure that your business stays important enough where you're going to continue to get customers in? How do you adjust your product? All of that. So it's start to I don't want to say finish because are we ever finished I don't know (laughs) I don't think so (laughs) but so it's now a membership site and I do weekly Q&A calls with 
all the members so you they can submit a question and we talk about businesses and when people can't attend it's all done on Facebook so they can go back and listen at their leisure because some people still have nine to five jobs because they want to and they should you know I'm not a proponent of okay let's just quit your nine to five and start this business yeah I don't believe in that I don't believe in that I mean I'm a risk taker but I just yeah. don't think that's smart. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm not doing it. I'm not going to build the parachute after I jump right. out of the plane. <laughs> right? There's a lot to that. Yeah, of course. <laughs> yeah. So that's what Gift Biz Builder is about. I'm really proud of it, and I'm mostly excited because the feedback from people who are in it is saying that it's helping them. You know, and they're getting clarity and they're understanding what they should do so they can use their creative efforts to build their business, not, again, to go source what to do. Okay, so how do they get there? Tell, tell the listeners, you know, how they find you, how they sign up for the membership site, how they check it out, everything. Okay. All right. Well, first off, I would love for people, if they're interested, to listen to my podcast. It's called Gift Biz Unwrapped. And virtually what we do is unwrap the stories behind different businesses. And I also am now getting on and doing some solo shows from time to time because I've been asked to do so. So I listen and I respond. (laughs) Um, So that's that. It's Gift Biz Unwrapped. And then I also made a page just for you, Diane. It's called giftbizunwrapped.com forward slash A-Y-B-G. So A-Y-B-G. And on that page, you have a couple of options. There's a link to my podcast. There's a link to my gift biz quiz, which virtually tells you where you are in your business building journey. You know, if even if you have a business, where do you land? And this is not one of those quizzes that like your results show up on Facebook. You know, this is just <laughs> for you. Because <laughs> I don't think everyone wants everyone to know where their business right. is, right? right. So, yeah. so it's just, it's, it's, the results are for your eyes only. And then there's also a link there over into the membership site, the Gift Biz Builder. Great. That's yeah. so great. Thank you. Thank you for so, doing that for the listeners. And thanks for doing this. This was so awesome. I really, I appreciate all the information. I have enjoyed it so much, Diane. I'm so glad. And I know the listeners have. I know they've gotten so much information out of this. And, of course, I want to thank them, as I always do, as well as our sponsor. Uh, get a free trial and a free audiobook by going to audibletrial.com slash businessgrowth. As always, continue to prosper and be curious and seek out the resources that are available to you and that you need in your journey. And until we meet again on another episode of Accelerate Your Business Growth, goodbye and good day. Have you ever found yourself scrolling through financial news and wondering, how does any of this affect me? How can I read a major headline and truly understand what impact that has on not only my portfolio, but my life? Well, our goal on the podcast Inside the Street, hosted by Wall Street analyst Sela Shifre Partners, is to provide public investors and young professionals with a deeper understanding of the mechanics that drive those major headlines. And what better way to dive into these mechanics than hosting Wall Street analysts themselves to discuss the newest trends in finance firsthand? Well, on our show, we bring you real perspectives from the front line. Hearing these analysts give commentary has made our listeners much more well-versed on the financial markets. This approach to discussion allows our listeners to engage in conversation with much more educated opinions and predictions. So be sure to check out our show, Inside the Street, wherever you find your podcasts.